0: Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, since April, we have been looking at the Lord's Prayer together. And we have, uh, we've done that together in order to foster the habit of prayer in our lives, if it's not already there, and uh, to nurture the habit of prayer, if it is. And we're doing that because uh, prayer is one of the means of grace, which is the church's way of saying that that's one of the ordinary places where God meets with people like you and me to share his life with us for our good. So we learn to pray uh, by being around people who pray and by praying. And so looking at this prayer that Jesus taught us, it's a way for us to be around him as he prays it and to listen to him as he prays it and to think about what he meant for us to pray when we pray. This morning, uh, we come to the traditional ending of the prayer. You might know that the last line of the Lord's Prayer as we pray it uh, isn't in either Luke's or Matthew's Gospels. It's the two places where Jesus taught the prayer. If you didn't know, it's not in there. Now you do. Uh, That line is usually included as a footnote in our translations, usually with a note that it was added uh, sometime later. And that's true. Sometime around the end of the first century or the beginning of the second century, the church started praying this line at the end of the Lord's Prayer. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So we're looking at this uh, line of the prayer because it's part of our prayer life because we pray it, but really the best reason uh, to think about this line together is because what it says is affirmed often and everywhere throughout all of Scripture. Like we heard in the uh, Old Testament lesson, his kingdom rules over all. In other words, what this line says is true. His is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And so all of this is captured beautifully in the greeting and in the doxology at the beginning of the book of Revelation and that's what I want us to read together this morning. So I'll read Revelation 1 uh, verses 4 through 6 for us. It's printed in the order of worship if you'd like to follow along as I read. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace. From him who is, and who was, and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. The firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priests, to His God and Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask uh, what we really ask every week and and it's that you would meet us in this word that we've read and heard together as we talk about it for a few minutes. That you would meet every single one of us uh, in the places where we find ourselves. Um, Those of us who have faith and feel eager to hear from you, to listen to you. Those of us who struggle in our faith. Those of us who aren't even sure what we believe. Those of us who aren't even sure why we're here. (laughs) Meet all of us and show us how much you love us in Jesus. Show us what you have done for us in him and change us by it. And we ask that in his name. Amen. Well, when I uh, when I woke up on Thursday morning uh, this last week, my uh, face was a complete mess. Uh, the whole left side of my face was uh, swollen, and all around my left eye, the skin. Uh, was either this angry red color or it had uh, already bruised into purple. And the crowning glory of it all was that my eye was was swollen completely shut. As in, you will not get your eye open unless you pry it open with your fingers shut. I looked like uh, I I had been in a fight, you know? I looked like a boxer or something. I felt like uh, Rocky on the morning after knocking Drago out in the 12th round avenging the death of my friend Apollo Creed, if you know what I mean. And I know some of you know what I mean. (laughs) If it hadn't been so uncomfortable, if it hadn't been so gross-looking, I'm sure I would have relished walking around all day telling people stuff like, yeah, it's bad, but you should see the other guy. But here's the church. Here's the truth, church. (laughs) The only fight that I had on Wednesday night was with a honeybee. And I'm here to tell you that she won. (laughs) She won. It was a knockout blow within seconds of the opening bell. No contest. And I woke up Thursday morning and my face was was a wreck. And that's the truth. That's what happened. I'm sure that I could have fooled people into thinking that I had been in a fight based on how things looked, based on how things appeared. But the reality was very, very different. And I think that's a pretty good way to understand the revelation of John, which we just read from together. He's writing to a family of churches in Asia Minor, roughly what we would call uh, the western part of Turkey today. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, I know what it looks like. He is saying, I know how bad these things look. John himself is on the run. He's exiled onto the island of Patmos, and there are these little churches. These little churches are surrounded everywhere by trouble. Teachers coming in from the outside, trying to knock them off their discipleship to Jesus, pressured by the beguiling decadence and allure of the pagan vision of the good life, and increasingly persecution at the hands of the tyrannical political and military apparatus of the Roman state. These churches, these churches had followed Jesus faithfully, faithfully and they had followed him for a while now under the increasingly heavy-handed Roman rule, Nero, Vespasian, Titus. And we can't be completely sure but it's likely that Domitian was probably the emperor when John wrote his policy. His policy was to promote the official Roman religion. And foster worship of the imperial family and descent to that, especially Christian descent, was not viewed favorably. So, John knows how it looks, he knows how things appear. And so, he writes to these churches to tell them how it really is, (laughs) to tell them what's really going on, that things are not only as they appear to be. Things are not only as they seem. John writes to give these churches the gift of another story. He writes to give them the gift of an alternate narrative. John writes to give them the gift of the true story of the world. And their present troubles definitely have a place in that story, but it is not nearly as large of a place as it feels to them right now. And in the end, their troubles Their troubles, and for that matter, all of the travails of the entire created order in the end will fade away forever at the consummation of a joyous celebration that will never ever end, a feast at the end of time called the marriage supper of the Lamb, where they will know God and they will be known by him, and together with innumerable multitudes of sisters and brothers and friends, they will enjoy him forever. That's how the story goes. (laughs) That is what is happening right now. That's what's going on and that's how it ends. And church another way of saying all of those things is to say. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. They cannot see that story. They cannot see that story playing out right now, and a lot of time, neither can we in the middle of our own trouble, in the middle of our own difficulty, surrounded as we are by all kinds of decadent and alluring parodies of the good life. But the true story, church, the true story is playing out all around us beyond our sensible apprehension of it. And I'm telling you that it is every bit as real as the things that we can touch with our hands and see with our eyes and hear with our ears. It is every bit as real. One day, church, one day we're not gonna need to ask for daily bread. One day, we're not gonna need to ask for the forgiveness of our debts. One day, church, we're not gonna need to ask to be kept from temptation. One day, church, we will not need to ask to be delivered from the evil one. And part of what we do when we pray, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, is lay down a token of that true story. We remind ourselves when we pray that it is really true and the praying of it trains our habits and it trains our imaginations and our appetites. It trains our wills to live into the truth of that no matter what. Here is the true story of the world, church. God will in and through Jesus prevail and we will be brought safely home. That's what John means to say in this vision that he sets down for the churches, the seven churches that are in Asia. That's what he calls them in verse 4. Now, there, are, um, there were, as best as we can tell, at least 10 churches in that region but he calls them the seven churches. Seven, of course, was long considered a number, number of fullness and a number of perfection and completeness. It always had been for God's people ever since they had been told that God rested on the seventh day and hallowed it and called it good after his work of creation. So that's probably what John means. He's writing to all the churches in Asia Minor, the completeness of them, the fullness of them. He's writing, for that matter, to the church universal, which, over the long years, has graciously come to include all of us here at Covenant. (laughs) He's writing to us. And John starts, like a lot of the New Testament writing starts, with a prayer for grace and peace to the folks who are reading this or the folks who are hearing it read. And he is not the source of that grace. He is not the source of that peace. The triune God is the one who is the source. First, the Father, or as John calls him here, the one who is and who was and who is to come. That's an echo of Exodus 3 when when God gave his name to Moses. He said, I am And I think John is intentionally reminding his friends of the eternality of the Father, of the utter transcendence of the Father, because that would matter a lot in a world dominated by the illusion of transcendence and the illusion of power that was projected by the emperors of Roman rule. I mean, this is what John is saying to his friends in those churches. He's saying, look, long before Augustus was, long before... Our father was. And long after this current tyrant Domitian gets off by a a posse of supposed loyalists from his own circle of power, long after that guy is gone, our father will continue to be. The kingdom and the power and the glory are his forever, and that's just the facts. That stuff never belonged to the pharaohs of Egypt. It never belonged to the kings of Assyria or the kings of Babylon. It certainly doesn't belong to the emperors of Rome. That stuff doesn't rest at 10 Downing Street. The power and the glory forever. The kingdom doesn't rest at the White House or the Kremlin or the He in Beijing. It belongs to our father who is and who was and who is to come. I mean, think about it, most of us probably uh, will have to look up the names of the leaders of those places shortly after they are gone. I mean, most of us, if we're being honest, can't even remember more than 10 of the presidents of our own country. (laughs) But here we sit. Here we sit this morning in a building that is shaped like a cross, while literally billions of others on our planet are doing the same thing, or they have already, or they will later today. Multitudes, church, multitudes, will pray the family prayer today. They will say the words, our Father in heaven, and they will say it in their native tongues in every corner of this planet. And I want you to know that this is eloquent witness to the fact that what John says is true. Our God is and he was and he is to come. His is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That is the true story of the world. God will in and through Jesus prevail. And we will be brought safely home. Then John says that grace and peace also comes from the seven spirits who are before the throne. This is where... Knowing what we already know about the number seven in books like this comes in handy. We know that John's talking about the Holy Spirit here. What we don't know is why would he refer to the Holy Spirit in that way? You know, maybe John means to talk about the Spirit in all of his uh, fullness or in all of his perfection. Maybe John means to talk about the Spirit's presence in these seven churches, the completion of churches that he referred to. Or maybe he's just talking about the perfect and complete work of the Spirit in the whole church. Maybe he means to say all of those things or something else entirely. All I can tell you is that this isn't the last mystery in the book of Revelation. (laughs) And that's part of what makes it so beautiful. And then in verse 5, John writes that grace and peace comes from Jesus Christ, who he describes with three names that people like us will probably never get to the bottom of. First, he says Jesus is the faithful witness. He is the one who shows us the Father. As, as John's gospel puts it, no one's ever seen God, but the only God who's at the Father's side, he has made him known. If we want to know what our Father in heaven is like, then we look to his faithful witness. We look to Jesus. And then John calls Jesus the firstborn of the dead. It's one of my uh, favorite images in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul uses it too. The firstborn of the dead. In this image, Jesus stands out in front of a great, great innumerable multitude. He stands out in front of all of our mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers all who have gone before us in death. He stands out at the head of a multitude that will one day include you and me and everyone else who follows him in faith. And he has gotten into that position at the head, at the lead, because somewhere between cross and resurrection, he met our last enemy, death. And he was the one who came out alive. And because death was his victim, he turns to all of us in this great multitude. And he says, you can follow me home, you're safe. God will in and through Jesus prevail and we will be brought safely home. His is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That is the true story. Then John calls Jesus the the ruler of kings on earth. We talked about this back in May a little bit. That just means he runs the place. (laughs) Every square inch of this place is his. And of course, John's hearers know, and we know too, that sometimes that's hard to believe because it is very hard to see a lot of the time. It is very hard to see that he is running the place. And that's why Jesus has gotten us ready for this by telling us, All of those stories that he told us about the hiddenness of his reign. All of those stories that he told us about uh, the long game that he is working to bring his kingdom to completion. Those stories were there to tell us that his timetable to get to its fullness, the the circuitous and unexpected route he is taking to bring his kingdom into fullness. And for that matter, the kind of folks (laughs) that he's going to bring into it, people like us. All of that stuff is way better than any, anything we would ever make up on our best days. And that's the truth. One day the former things will have passed away. And his gracious and peaceable reign will be all that we see anywhere. Because God will in and through Jesus prevail. And we will be brought safely home. That is the story. His is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So it's just been a verse and a half. And this is what John does. He's he's just said, hello, churches. (laughs) Just a greeting. But it is the most bracing hello. I mean, these people are understandably scared at what is going on around them. It feels like some deep waters to them. They are confused they're frustrated, they're increasingly being persecuted, and every day they are made to feel like knucklehead fools for what they believe and for how they live. Every day probably they wonder if it might be easier to capitulate to the state. Every day probably they wonder if they ought to fit their faith more easily into a pagan vision of the good life that won't make them take so much heat all the time. And listen, I, I hope that that sounds a little bit on the nose for us. Because <laughs> it's not like we don't know what those things feel like, given we're taking an emphasis here or there. I mean, no one's being thrown to the lions, not here. But you better believe Christians in other places rightly fear for their lives. And I don't doubt that there isn't one of us here this morning who follows Jesus faithfully, who hasn't wondered if capitulation, or who hasn't wondered if making our faith just a little bit more culture-friendly, just sanding off some of the weird parts, if that might make things easier. It would be remarkable if you hadn't wondered those things, because Christians have sweated it out just like this from day one. That's why John is writing this letter, for goodness sake. (laughs) He's writing to give us a bracing hello, a hello that lays down a token for the true story of the world, a hello that reminds us what is really true, a hello that trains our habits and our imaginations and our appetites and our wills to live into that truth no matter what, and I will take all of those kinds of hellos that you've got. God will in and through Jesus prevail and we will be brought safely home. His is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So I don't know who added that last line to the Lord's Prayer. I don't know if it was one person, a bunch of people, a church somewhere, a group of people. I don't know. But I know it's true. And I know that it perfectly follows the mysterious logic of our faith that knowing God leads us to praise him, it leads us to enjoy him. And in praise, we are formed into the people that we were meant to be. So it's perfectly fitting to end the prayer that Jesus taught us with praise. That's what John does after he says his hello. He just melts into praise. And that's how I want us to end. I want us to hear this doxology to the Jesus who taught us to pray. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom. Priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do as best as we are able say amen to this and we thank you and we ask that you would help us to believe that you would prop us up when our faith weakens that you would prop us up when our faith flags help us to be a people make us into a people who are happy to use all of the means of grace to meet you and to be strengthened by you as your priests in this world make us especially people who pray we ask this in the name of christ amen